Academic Conversations with Martin and Morgan. I'm Alicia. I'm Mary. This is episode four, and we are discussing chapter three out of Ink and Ideas by Tani McGregor tonight. And chapter three is titled Becoming an Independent Inker. How are you, Mary? I'm doing great tonight. I'm ready to get started. So chapter three starts, and she begins to really talk about uh, the use of color and the use of layout on the page. So what's something that struck you first off? Well, first of all, I thought that the way she kicked the chapter off with the story about herself and her friend, I think she said her friend's name was Karen. Is that right? Yes. All right. It sounds like she knows uh, Alicia and Mary (laughs) because I think I'm a Tanny. And I'm definitely Karen. I think you're a Karen because um, especially here when she said, if you're like me, you might not feel the need for this chapter right now. You've read the research and rationale about sketchnoting, so you're ready to jump in the deep end. And you might save this for later, and that's funny because that is exactly how my process was. And what about you? So Karen's journey is logical steps, of course, and we've already talked about that in previous episodes, how I like that. And um, she starts with some lingering questions that you might have, such as, where do I start on this page? Or... How do I know what to write or what to sketch first? And that is exactly what went through my mind when I started this. And I'm definitely, let's read the book first or read the manual first. Yes, you are. And And, and then I'll try it. Right. And I just start doing stuff and then go to the manual if I need to. So I did have to laugh when when I read that opening opening paragraphs on page 46 because that's definitely us. That's us. And I think that... Uh, It's kind of hard to know somebody else is thinking a completely different way from you in that regard. For me, it was when I had my middle child, my son, and he was small, and he really hated going to like a drawing station in preschool because he wanted them to tell him, what do you, what exactly do you want me to do here? And he built circuits and uh, used gears and like, he, he just is very analytical and methodical. And so I think it's kind of helpful to know someone else like that. He helped me understand your brain, Alicia. How about that? I think we complement each other well. I think we do too. Um, I, I did like to, on, on this page, when she talks about you need to just trust in the process of sketch noting. And, and so I have been able to do that. Um, even though I, I have not read the book all the way through, mm-hmm. I am going chapter by chapter where I think normally I would have read the book from cover to cover, and then tried it out. So yeah. um, I'm trying to be a little bit more flexible, and, and it's working. I went to a training yesterday, and I thought I would be using the sketch noting, and what I actually went to, I had to revert back to actual note-taking because the content lent itself more to that. Um, but in a faculty meeting this afternoon, um, we were talking about testing administration, and so on the back of my handout, I sketch noted um, that out tonight, this afternoon. So, but it is still in the logical order where the topic is front and center is one of the layouts that she has. And, and that's definitely the subtopics mm-hmm. are there. And then my ideas are below that. So I'm trying it out still, but I, I do understand what she's saying about different types of information might lend itself better to sketch notes. Or sometimes you would revert back. And that's exactly what happened happened yesterday. So I have a 
a little bit of sketch noting in my notes, but um, from yesterday, but it was really more just technical getting those details down mm-hmm. because then I have to take it back and, and share it with colleagues in my school. So I feel like I need to be a little bit more detailed because those notes aren't just for me. Okay. So I had to think about that that piece as well. Uh, last week we talked about being metacognitive in the way that you choose what kind of notes you're going to take, right? And that sounds like that's exactly what you just did. I like how she says, uh, you don't, you won't have likely have a mental image of the finished product when the first marks are made. You can have frameworks in mind though to help the sketch note take shape. So she seems to be giving us an entry point. It's the blank page and then some of these shapes that she gives us, these sort of frameworks that she gives us for thinking are a way to get started if you are stuck at that page. It seemed like a good scaffold. But I do like how she starts with the blank page and then we don't really know if we need uh, the scaffold necessarily until we start. So it made me kind of think about, um, I was in a first grade classroom and they were writing on a little post-it note. They were, I think, writing the end of a story and um, they just had this little square post-it and it was blank and the teacher just said, okay, I read this in the story. I want you to write the end. We talked about the beginning, middle, now you write the end out and some of the students um, needed that scaffold of, you know, I just, they told me what the ending was and maybe in a sentence and we kind of drew the lines for each word and they filled it in. But she didn't rush in and give them that support at first. She didn't assume that they needed it. She gave them the, you know, blank posted, if you will, and just said, okay, I want to see what you can do. And then for the kids that need that support, I'm going to give it to you instead of based on what they have already done in the past, which I appreciate because I feel like you never, you never know what they, what they can do on their own. And so I feel like that's kind of what Tani is saying about, you know, just make it your own. And then if you need one of my frameworks or um, one of these different ways of doing it, you can use it. The flow chart or the, the front and center. She has some more examples, but she just starts out with make it your own, which you have done on your iPad. So on pages 47, 48, 49, Tanny gives us a variety of, I, I think of them as uh, thinking maps, ways that we can or- organize our thoughts, which you mentioned, and or, I mean the realization that I almost always use what looks like a web where you start in the center of the page with a big idea. I almost always keep my paper um, or my iPad in landscape. I put the big idea in the center and then I radiate out of that. And I was trying to ask myself, well, why do I always choose that particular organizing structure? And I think it's probably because of webbing and going back to the idea that when you're making a web, you're looser and you're more, it feels more like brainstorming. So I, I've talked about this at the beginning, but I, I like the front and center where kind of the topic is on top and then you have the subcategories below. And the flow chart, because I'm more of a logical, logical in sequence. Logical sequential. Kind of person, but I'm starting to branch out a little bit. The the starting in the left corner and branching out, I don't know, that might take me a while. 
Yeah, I like that one. I want to try that one. It makes sense start to me because of how we read that we always stop in the top, start in the top left. That that's where your big idea would be. I'm interested in thinking about different languages. If people write, you know, from right to left or up to down, like would their common organizing structures look? Oh, yeah, good question. Different from ours. And then you and I also talked about on page 50 about helping kids know which one of those they might want to use. And this goes back to your thinking about when to intervene with some kind of scaffold and when to let a kid struggle. And I think I was thinking when you were saying that, that there has to be really good rapport, I think, between the teacher and the child for them to have that space to struggle a little bit or to allow the struggle a little bit. I think that sometimes we intervene because we worry that our kids don't have all the tools to handle frustration. And sometimes our kids don't have the tools to handle frustration. So we try to diffuse the situation before it happens right. by jumping in and by doing that, we're making the kids less likely to develop those skills of handling frustration. So it's really, it's something you have to teach them, but you also have to give them security in that space that they're in where they're struggling. Even if it's for a second, if you've ever felt really confused by something, those seconds or minutes where you feel that confusion seem like they last forever because your emotion is high and your body starts responding to that. And so I think kids a lot of times, and adults too, don't have a high tolerance for that feeling. And so I think that's why we all probably try to lessen it. But living in that is good. Yeah, and, and I think in those environment those environments where kids take risks like that, they're they're um, front loaded with some strategies that you can rely on. So when I when I talked about the teacher that gave the post-it note, she knows developmentally where her kids are and so she has front-loaded strategies like if they're all not um, great spellers yet mm -hmm. and so she has taught them you know stretch out the word listen for the sound so mm -hmm. she's front-loaded um, already in the school year so that they have some independent writing writing strategies already but you're right, when that panic sets, they forget. And so she's able to say, okay, remember, what do you do when you don't know how to spell something? Because they immediately, one of the students immediately came back to, hey, can I, I need help spelling this word. And so, but it's is she if she had not done that front loading, yeah, it probably wouldn't have gone as smoothly. You said the right word, you said panic. That is how it feels. It feels like panic. And we all feel that way when we know someone is expecting us to perform and we are expecting ourselves to and we can't quite figure out the way to do it. I really am glad that she gives them all of those tools. Colors. Here so, we go. So once again, here's that word emotion. Emotion and So color. I have to bring that up because we talk about emotion a lot, right? Um, in, in literacy, it we comes do. up quite often. And um, she says on page 50, just as the color, just as color is important in our everyday lives, it is laced with emotion. It is an integral part of great design. And later on, she kind of goes through some kind of steps. There's a, a formula almost, which of course I loved. I was excited <laughs> when, when I read about that formula. 
And, you know, she just kind of talks about the color being, um, she talks about color harmony, what colors go together, which ones kind of complement one another. And she talks about you do that when you when you pick out what you're going to wear for the day. And so it's just really an, a natural part of your everyday life. But then how can you use that in your in your sketch notes to really highlight what's important? Yeah, I uh, first of all, I'm just thinking about what you said about emotion. We've in this book talked about design evoking emotion, um, the act of drawing evoking emotion, and the music that you can play. The sketch noting soundtrack evokes emotion, and now we've got color evoking emotion. So I would think those. All of those are working together with that literate brain that needs to experience that emotion so that it can empathize and understand a character that's not yourself. You know, to build that world outside of your own would solidify. And, and, and maybe think about the the illustrations in a in a really good picture book. Mm-hmm. It those, but it, it made me kind of think. Wow, I wonder if the illustrator sits down and is is really purposeful about about the colors that they choose and 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 if they really fit with the words that are on the page and and the message that the author is trying to send and feel certain that that's true. Alicia's laughing at me right now because I just pulled out of my book bag my Ed Emberley's drawing book, Make a World. I ordered it because I had to have it after last week talking about Ed Emberley and he definitely uses so much color so masterfully that he's teaching me again. He taught me when I was a kid and now he's teaching me again. The other thing I thought about is um, on page 51 where Tani talks about in her own sketch note, she thinks she's violated every rule there is about designing color. Uh, She tends to just put pen to paper and see what happens. And sometimes she likes the results and other times she learns that she doesn't want to do that again. And I was thinking that I am much more likely to do that on my tablet because I can always hit a, an undo button or use an eraser that allows me to maybe just erase line by line. And so I can take out and clean up what I don't like and I can add a background color and change my mind about that. I've done that many times where I have ink choices and then I put a color in the background and I have to try different colors for the background. Having that tablet option has helped me to jump in. It's been easier for me to do what I like to do, which is jump in. But I think when you have paper to pen, pen to paper, markers, whatever, and it's a little bit harder because then you're going to end up maybe feeling like you want to get rid of something or throw something out that you don't like or mark it out. It definitely, what you what you have available at that time, at least for me, she talks about the different types, whether you're monochromatic or using those colors that are complementary. It depends on if I'm only going to use one color, what other colors I have in this pouch. Right. And, and do they complement each other? Do they go together? Mm-hmm. And if not, then I'm just going to use that one mm-hmm. color mm-hmm. for the day. So that really influences. And I never even thought about that in that way until I read this chapter. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's why I do that. Yeah, that's the pins that you have. Yeah, and that's yeah. and they just, okay, if the colors don't go together or complement each other or I, or I don't like them together, visually than I only use but I never I did that without realizing consciously that I was doing that mm-hmm. do you know what I mean yes um so that I was funny yeah like, oh that's yeah. why I do that 
Uh, that just made me think about the two students that I talked about a couple weeks ago who were drawing, making all the drawings for their digital story, um, and that reading is really difficult for them. And the the girl student brought out brought her markers from home, and it was one of those big sets, you know, that I was whoa, I was actually kind of jealous when I saw them. But she understands color, I realize now, because she knew she needed the whole palette, you know, of color. She didn't want just one or two. She wanted all the options. <laughs> and she had them all. I was also thinking about an app I like to use on the computer and also on my iPad, and I love it. It's called Adobe Spark. And I know I've shown it to you a yes. little bit, but... Within Adobe Spark, there are lots of color options, and a lot of times they'll group colors for you. They'll say, these four colors recommended with this project you're starting. It, it, see, it sees what you're choosing, like maybe the first color or a picture or the text you put in, and then it offers you colors to go with it. And I realized that they're doing that based on this color wheel, of course. I just never thought of it. But the colors always look really beautiful together, but I never stopped to think, well, why did they offer me those colors? And it makes perfect sense now because there are people who know so much about that and that 60-30-10 rule. What did you think about that? Do you ever do that? Do you think when you're like choosing your clothes or? I think I do and not, I just don't realize it maybe. Yeah. So the 60-30-10 rule is 60% of your color, that is your anchor color. Is, is what she kind of says. And it's either kind of a, a dark color or a neutral color. And then 30% is the accessory color. That's your next color. And it partners well with your anchor color. And then the accent, which is 10%, you use kind of sparingly, but that's, that's where you want your most important ideas because I guess they're going to pop off the page. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, when she talked about design, I'm like, that's probably, I mean, if I think about color in people's living rooms or whatever you know how they say a pop of color yes like every room should have a pop of red that, pop of that's color. where that maybe 10 percent accent color comes from that makes sense and she talks about how you see this in clothing stores and ikea advertisements presentation slides and so it just kind of makes sense that your sketch noting would be that intentional and purposeful. If, if everything else is intentional, why shouldn't the color be? Some people will have fun just playing around with that, and some people will say, eh, that's nice, but right. whatever, and that's fine. Anyway, it's fine. And she also mentions that uh, there's an antithetical conclusion to this section about color that sometimes you don't want or need color at all. And I've seen kids do amazing black and white or pencil, yes. pencil on white paper, drawings that would not have been the same drawing if color had been added so and she says maybe she just picks up a pencil when she's listening to a TED talk mm -hmm. or a podcast mm -hmm. and she says the lack of color can actually emit a message all its own right. so you think about it why didn't you use color in that particular set of sketch notes it could have been the tools available but it may have been an intentional choice based on something else and, and you I, might remember that easily because of seeing the lack of color and i wonder if it can since you're going back to emotion i wonder if it could just be your mood like some days your mood is just right yes like like you're not colorful that day right so i wonder I, if it would you know? 
hook up with our clothing choices. Like if I'm wearing neutrals or, you know, black. yeah, but you know, some days you wake day. up and yeah, you just want to just be neutral yes. and you're not looking for the flash of color. And then other days you are. I wonder if that would line up with your sketch noting choices. That'd be interesting. All right. So choosing from the content buffet, this is the part where we get some guidance about that micro summarizing. How do you do it? Where do you start? With your pens or stylus as utensils to select what you need, let a couple of questions guide you. And what did you think of the guiding questions? I like them because I, I like a little guidance, as we all have, have known. And one of the things that she says to just think about is, okay, what do I want on my plate or on my page? Just, just that simple. Before you even design it, the color, what do I want to say? And I think sometimes that's just the hardest part to get started. I just realized as I'm looking at her illustration here that the sketch note buffet plate that she has on page 58, it says created in paper by 53. That's the app I was talking about last week. Paper is the one I use on my iPad Pro. I like how she used the word hyper metacognitive. Yes, I when, thought I liked it. Mm -hmm. When you're reading with or without pen in hand, you need to answer those questions for yourself, what's important and what's interesting. But when you're sketch noting, it's almost as though you're hypercognitive with an awareness of answers to these guiding questions front and center. And there again is the value in sketch noting because it puts those questions front and center. In the um, margin, I put micro summary again because I feel like that's what we're going for. If you're asking yourself what's important, what's interesting, that helps guide that micro summarizing process. Do you think makes you more engaged and, and just being present. Mm -hmm. Because I know to this afternoon, it's after school, I'm tired, the content really wasn't something I was interested in, but it's important that I remember and, and know. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't done that sketch noting, I, honestly, I probably would have been daydreaming about something else. <laughs> I mean, I'm just mm -hmm. being honest. And so I think I absolutely agree with that um, because that actually, I lived it. Um, just a couple of hours ago, and I and I was thinking if I wasn't doing the sketch stoning, I probably would have missed a lot of important items that I needed that I need to know. Do you ever have people now that you've started doing this? Do you ever have people sitting next to you, kind of trying to peek at what you're doing and saying, I haven't even noticed. What is that? It happens to me at staff meetings. People are not paying attention, as I wouldn't be, just like you were saying because the content's dry or it's something we have every year or it's something that yeah. just seems punitive like testing guidance and everyone starts looking at what I'm doing on my iPad and saying what is that <laughs> what did you draw there <laughs> why did you put that and it's just funny because people will come up to me afterwards and say what were you doing during staff meeting and I say those are my notes and then I show them and they uh kind of want to catch me <laughs> doing something I'm not supposed to do but Surprise, it's sketch noting. The beautiful thing about these guiding questions is that the answers are yours. I think that that brings home the need for the individual response and how much bringing the design element individualizes what turns up on the page. This graphic, what's important, what's interesting, it reminds me, because I'm going back to these reading standards, and I always feel like that is so important for kids to p figure out what the author is really trying to say is important, what they really, what the author really 
says you need to know. And so I just appreciate this. what's important to you, what's important to the author, what's important to others. And she just has it in a way to where it's simple. That format, I think, would be easy for students to be able to answer. It is, and I think you could even break it down more. You could say, for example, what's important to the author? Why? How do you know? You could get into author's purpose. You could take any of those, what's important to you, to the author, to others, or what's interesting, new info, connection, surprises. You could take any one of those so much further than just that. that's where you start. But I, I started seeing all the opportunities for teaching right. comprehension just with those. And you all can't see this, but at the at the top, um, it starts out with a banner, and it says, continually ask yourself, dot, 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 what's important, what's interesting, because we are expecting readers to continually do that. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm always thinking back to the classroom. How can we use this? How can this yeah, help I'm kids? How can this help them show what they already know, but they don't know how to express yet. She talks about Dolly Parton's song, The Coat of Many Colors. Do you know that song? Yes, and I love this quadrant sketch note. Okay, let's talk about the quadrant sketch note. What do you like about it? Of course I like it because it's in quadrants. Let's just be honest, okay? (laughs) And everything's in a box. Mm -hmm. Very symmetrical. And it's it's simple. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's simple in design, but the content is rich. So if you don't know the song, Code of Many Colors, it's a really beautiful song about how her mom took a box of rags and there was all different leftover pieces of material and made her a coat that she thought was so beautiful because it was made out of so many scraps from family projects and things her mom had done. And the kids laughed at her when she got to school, but she realized um, afterwards that love and family were more important than the admiration of your peers as far as your clothing is concerned and I think kids can really resonate to that idea I remember my own kids really liking that song when they were small and um, I loved what she said about the thinking frame she said the thinking frame was what will you remember about Dolly's story let's make our invisible thinking show up like magic on our pages because it's all about making those receptive skills to expressive. So taking what's interior and displaying it, making it external. And I love the idea of saying, let's make our invisible thinking show up like magic on the page. That's such an exciting way to bring kids into that process. What do you think your kids would say if you said that to them? I think they would probably say, okay, let's go. <laughs> I mean, I could. Come on, think, let's yeah. do it. And it's because they're out work mostly with the younger students, but she also says, and these the big ideas, what the big ideas from the coat of many colors from the quadrant were not lost on these seven year olds. So that's what I just think is wow. Uh, because I think a lot of times people think that because they're so young, their thinking is limited, and it's really not. Yeah. They're able to get concepts like that. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's not just about the coat that you're wearing, but the love that made the coat. The love that made the and coat. And they are able to grasp those big ideas, yeah. just like she said. And I think it's very cool. And she talks about primary students again. It, and I, I highlight that because she said it's always good to think about the work of primary students, okay. regardless of the grade level you teach. Our youngest kids can help us understand where the thinking 
might go next. And I just I just think sometimes they um, they meaning primary students aren't you know like I said before they're not always thought to be deep thinkers, and they can have some of the most insightful discussions more than adults sometimes because they're more open. They don't I was just thinking they don't have that filter no. of fear and they feel everything, you know? They they I think they pick up on very sophisticated themes, especially in picture books. So if you give them that color and the visual to go with it, they're gonna tell you everything. Tani talks about this process being used from primary grades to college and she gives some examples in the book about some things she did with Ohio State University students, and it was really interesting to see that they also enjoyed using this process. Then she's back to Karen, right? <laughs> she says, remember my friend Karen, and that she probably wouldn't have written this chapter if not for knowing that someone like Karen was going to need it and have it be chapter three. Um, she said it's the sketch Notice thinking that makes the difference. Rules can feel safe at first, but as your confidence and experience build, you simply know, and she has that in italics, your gut will be your guide and you'll become an independent anchor. Yes. I have that highlighted. I'm going to trust in the process, just okay. like she says in the beginning of the, of the chapter. Okay. And I was just thinking, I wrote something in the margin there about just the language of emotion. That seems to be the theme that's come up tonight. When I, I work with bilingual students and sometimes multilingual uh, students and they often will revert to their home language when they're feeling emotional and they wanna express something if they're upset, they're hurt, they're afraid, uh, they have a hard time getting it out if they're trying to speak to someone in English but as soon as they can talk to someone who speaks their language they just fluently start and you can see sometimes the tears and all of it's coming up because that's their heart language. And I was thinking sketchnoting is kind of becoming that, I think, for me, because last week I was watching a documentary on Newtown, and it was about what happened um, with the, the, all the children who were killed during that horrible, horrible incident. And um, I was watching it, and I didn't do anything while I was watching it. I was just listening and watching. And then when it was over, I thought, I have to do something. I can't just let these, these feelings are so big and they're so, you know, they just felt like so much. And usually at that time, I would start to maybe try to write something in words, but I immediately started drawing and my, sketching my ideas. And I thought sketchnoting has really become a language for me of my heart because I feel like I can sketch it and write it both. I can do both of those. I don't just have just have words. Now I have words and my sketching and my pictures. I'm grateful to Tani McGregor for opening my eyes to this in a new way and also it was great to see that she wrote this book because we trust her so much, don't we? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Whenever I tell somebody that we're reading this book and that it's by Tani McGregor, they say, "Oh, I love her." Um, we see her name and we think automatically we know it's going to be research-based. It's going to be clear. It's going to be simple. It's going to be good for teachers. It's going engaging. to be good for kids. It's going to be engaging. So I that, just really appreciate that. That story completely uh, makes me think she has something on 62. And she says, from kindergarten to college, thinking in words and pictures pushes us to intersect with the text 
leaving behind unmistakably original sketch notes. And I just think it's this just reinforces for me how important it is to continue to advocate for kids to be able to use pictures and words because I think at a certain point they're pushed and encouraged to stop sketching, stop illustrating, and just write, 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 write. And the pictures and words go together mm-hmm. a lot I, of the time. And just like you had just said, I mean, you, you viewed something, yeah. not read it, and still had to use pictures to do that. So mm-hmm. it's just one is not more important than the other. They, they kind of work interchangeably, and she just keeps reinforcing that, I think. I think in a lot of ways it's it's um, wrong-minded not to recognize that our society and the ways we take in information is becoming much more visual. Um, kids get a lot of their information from video, and that's fine, you know, from, from um, photos that they can find on the internet, they're able to add visuals to their repertoire for learning. It's not just about, you know, a textbook or a book you can find, you know, in the reference section at the library. There's so much more visually happening now in the 21st century with digital learning that I think those, and I know where that's coming from, where you say they're saying, right, right, right. I think that maybe our standardized testing, not maybe, I think definitely, it needs to adapt to what kids are doing in the real world. That's not to say we don't measure their proficiency in writing or writing in an on-demand way, you know, to see what they can do um, when just asked without coaching and guidance and, you know, get sort of like a cold read on their writing. But I think that those testing expectations, which are all written, verbal, written, you know, work, that's what's driving that whole kids can't use visuals anymore. They have to put that away and now just write. Um, I just see over and over again that if students can sketch it out, create those drawings first, it just adds to what they do right. Mm-hmm. It adds to the details, it adds to the quality, and they're excited about it. Do you get a sense of where the write-only ideas coming from? I only want to see these kids writing. I don't want to see the drawing. I want to see Um, the writing. I think a lot is responding to reading, but, I mean, the first three, we're only three chapters in, and Mm -hmm. Tani's just given us a whole arsenal Mm -hmm. of ways to respond to a text, right? Mm -hmm. That is higher level, um, that is up the ladder of blooms. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is half of its sketchnoting, right? Right. Which is drawing and using pictures and how how deeper thinking and how many processes they have to go through mm-hmm. cognitively to be able to do just that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, a drawing, depending on where they uh, where those students are developmentally, can be even deeper thinking than what they can put down through words. I agree, but I don't think everybody who's I don't think telling an us what our that. kids should be doing all day. I understand I that. Right. Right. But also Agreed. I think they're looking at how their school's gonna be judged, which is sure. not yeah, which is gonna be based on written work. Um and and I yeah, and I don't think there's an understanding of 
how that's going to how that's going to add to them being able to write those um, ways later. How that's going to enrich that and help that and nourish that. Right. Um, it seems to be a mindset of do it more and do it earlier instead of and that's build it the right way from the beginning. Building the foundation. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're almost extinguishing, we're almost cutting off the writer. Uh, we're, we're doing the opposite of what the intention is. Yes. And I think the intentions are well-meaning. I do too. Um, for sure. But the, the way we're going I about mean, it is yeah. we're not nourishing what needs to be nourished. Right. I mean, you can't fault anyone for trying to help kids demonstrate what they school. know and represent themselves in their their school and, you know, the work that's going on. Well, it's just... Like you said, I think it's misguided in some cases because it's not, it's not effective to just start earlier and do more of well, the same. Um, and I think it's what you know Tani had said in the early chapters. Let's teach them this, and this is just like you just said. I think it's just another tool they have so they can have some choices in how they're going to right. Uh, produce their thinking because I think deep uh, I think d- deeper thinking critical thinking and being able to write that out is the ultimate goal right yes but this is just another way to help mm-hmm. them do that right um, but sometimes it's just not preferred or, or not accepted or valued and I think some teachers are scared to try it because you know it's it's not what they know that what is expected they have that sense right mm-hmm all right. We went through chapter three. Mary. We went through chapter three. I don't want this book to be finished. So chapter four is called Sketch Note Live. Be in the moment. So that will be podcast five, episode five, chapter four. So join us. Read chapter four if you have it. If not, we'll be back for the next episode. And Mary, it was fun. It was fun. It's always fun. And another shout out to the Louisville Free Public Library, Northeast Regional Branch. They have this amazing audio, podcasting, music making, sound booth. And we're just so grateful to have such an amazing space to work from. All right. See you next time.